The message is entitled, To Walk Like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. And we thank you in your sovereignty that you've placed us here to be found faithful. Lord, I pray that as the word goes forth that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher, that each one of us might be spirit-filled listeners, that we might be found obedient to the word. And Lord, I pray that the flock would be fed, that we'd be equipped for every good work that you call us to. And Lord, we desire a great harvest, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I uh, saw something on Facebook, unusual, I don't, I don't look at it a lot, but it was very good. It says this, yes, I am a Christian, I believe the Bible, I do not support homosexuality or homosexual marriage, yes, I still love you, yes, we are still friends, no, I am not judging you, no, I am not condemning you to hell, no, I will not let anyone bully you. But realize that the name-calling and stereotyping of those who stand for what we believe is exactly what you don't want done to you. We have a right to speak what we believe the same as you have the right to speak what you believe. Now, that makes sense. It seems logical. Don't expect it. Don't expect that people who missed Jesus, those same kind of people all of a sudden are going to give you the benefit of the doubt. They tend to believe the news media and whatever it's pumping out that anybody that disagrees hates them. It's not true. But in spite of the times, in spite of the challenges, nothing has changed. Now, we've seen that they've actually put a, a label to what the Supreme Court's trying to be doing. I don't think if they'd actually sent it back to the states and had the states vote on it, we'd have the same result. In the paper, one of our own representatives said, oh, this is what the majority of people think. No, it's not. That's why they did it the way they did it. In case you didn't know this, Supreme Court is not supposed to be making laws. They're only supposed to be defining if laws are constitutional or not, but such as it is. Here's where we live. If you may have been a little confused or conflicted like I was, that one minute our president can... Uh, rejoice and take glory and shame and the next minute go and try to sing amazing grace at a christian funeral well there is conflict there but don't be confused god has not changed in leviticus 17 and leviticus 20 the law is very clear about what god thinks about all these things that are going on in our nation today it's very clear in malachi 3 sec 3 6 it says this I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. See, if God changed, none of us would be here. See, the Bible says that God the Son, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, he spoke the worlds into existence. He said, let there be light and there was light. That same God, as he hung on the on the on the cross, and those revilers were walking in front of him, those, those religious leaders, and saying, oh, look, he saved others. He can't save himself. That was exactly the truth. He could not save others. He was there to save. He couldn't save himself because he was there to save us. 
And the old gospel song said he could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't need help from 10,000 angels. All he had to do is say, it's over, and this place would have gone up in smoke now. But because God is merciful, and because he is immutable, he does not change, he continues to hold his arms out. And as to those coming to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Some say the Bible doesn't speak to this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So God has not changed. Holiness is the same as it always was, in spite of the practice of mankind, in spite of governments, what they decide. God's still sitting on the throne, and he decides what's right and wrong. That has not changed. But how do we live in this generation? In times like these, how are we to proceed? Some churches now are trying to figure out how do they spin this so it looks like they're not against it, but they're, you know, not really for it. You know, don't lose your constituency, but you don't want to offend because that's how you're going to get a chance. Don't offend anybody. Jesus said, he is a rock of offense. He's a sword that divides. But people are hurting today because that's what sin does. It destroys And just so you're you're not under any cloud of illusion, Satan hates everything God has created. He hates those that are against his law. He hates those that hate him. Satan hates everything God has created. He hates them. Even though they, they seem to be singing his tune, he hates them, and he's going to destroy them. Jesus said about Satan, he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That's all he can do. God has not changed either. He is righteous and holy, and he has provided a way of escape. And we have the opportunity in our time and our place to be a light. As things get darker, we have an opportunity. Do you know that even in the times of the tribulation, when God's judgment is being poured out on this earth, and it looks like there's no hope, and it looks like no people will be left, It'll be a great time of evangelism. Some from every tribe, nation, and people group will come to know Christ, even in the tribulation, in times like those and in times like these. This is our time to be found faithful. You say, well, you know, it would have been nice to have been born in the good old days. You know, when right was right and wrong was wrong and People said up was right, and they kind of like John Wayne, you know, they punch in the nose if you don't go along with it, you know. But you don't. You live in these times. 
And yet there are great victories to be had. There are those that need Christ that are going the way of the world and they're filling themselves up and they're finding that they're still empty. But we are the ones with a message of hope. So verse 1 says, chapter 5 of Ephesians, be imitators of God as beloved children. The greatest form of worship is to imitate. And we imitate and follow God because we love him. God has put that into children. Do you know that? He said the glory of children is their fathers. Fathers have to be wicked to discourage that in their sons and daughters. But that's a gift he's given to every dad. So if you will follow in righteousness, your kids want to please you. God put that in there. And if you make straight paths for, the, for, for your feet, they'll follow. Be imitators of God as beloved children. So, well, how can we imitate God? Well, you can learn and study the life of Jesus Christ and then do what he did. The Bible says in John 1, 14 and 17, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, the glory as, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Later, the disciples, when he said, they said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you this long and you don't know the Father? He came to demonstrate God to us. He took upon him flesh. He walked. He left us with his word so that we could learn to imitate and follow him. But following him is not just a matter of learning a bunch of facts so you can have trivia in your brain. The Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, love builds up, 1 Corinthians 8.1. So what, what do you mean by that, Pastor? It's not just knowing the facts. I mean, it's active. It's following him. That's where you started in your path. The invitation to salvation in the Bible is not ask Jesus in your heart and he's going to make you a success. You can do what you want. That's not in the Bible. The invitation that Jesus gave was, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. What does that mean? You say, you know what? I don't care if you grew up in Sunday school. It took just as much grace to save you as it did anybody else. You're lost in your sin without hope apart from Jesus Christ. And so you have to say, Lord, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. That's denying yourself. If a man would come after me, let him deny himself, and then take up his cross, and what? Follow me. So you learn to imitate Christ as you follow him day by day. If you think, because you said a prayer, but you're really not interested really now what's going on anymore. I got that done. I got my fire insurance taken care of, and God's going to take you to heaven because you said the prayer. No, 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 no. What's your interest? The Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the right desires. Is your delight the Lord? Or is yourself? The Bible says the fool seeks only to discover himself. He's always just looking to see what really makes me tuck, what makes me happy. I'm going to do that for myself and see who's the God then. They are. That's the God. What do I like? What I like is what, you know, and they equate that to God. That's not true. Jesus said, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be like them. That's what they're like. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might find out what is that good, acceptable, the perfect will of God. See, that's where the process of sanctification is. But it takes place as we follow him, as we're carrying our cross. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Where was Jesus going to the place of sacrifice? That's how he demonstrated his love. He said, you need to be an imitator of God. You study the life of Christ, there was always people dogging his his heels and always just snapping at him and trying to trip him up. And Jesus always responded, how? In love. Even when he confronted the Pharisees strongly and those religious leaders strongly in their unbelief, he did it because he loved them. Later in Acts, it says many of the priests trusted Christ. Many of them trusted Christ. Why? Because in love, he confronted them just like he confronted you. If you're saved this morning, if you know Christ is your Savior, at some point he stopped you in your tracks, and you knew you were empty, without hope. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It was grace that taught my heart, what? To fear. You were in trouble. And then grace, my, my fears relieved. Why? Because then you had hope. Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Even the faith to believe didn't come from you. That's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, to the model church at Thessalonica, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. So God gives us, that's what discipleship is. Paul's basically saying, follow me as I follow Christ. For baby Christians, we we get together with them, we pour the word into them, and we walk with them life on life through the situations they're dealing with. Says, well, the Bible says this about that. Jesus says this. This is how Jesus reacts. So they learn to check with the Lord, to learn to imitate Christ in all things. So verse 2, our first point. In times like these, we're called to walk in love. He said, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's how Jesus demonstrated his love. 1 John 3.16, John writes to those in the church and he said, brothers, let's not just love in word. Let's not just love in your doctrinal statement but in deed and in truth. So if you see one of your brothers that has a need, he needs clothing, food, or shelter, and you have the ability to meet the need, and you don't meet the need, how is that the love of God? It's not, is it? It's not. It reaches out. It's active. You see, that's agape love. God's love is responsible it's able to respond to the person in need. Not just because, not because, or whether you have an emotional tie or not. Whatever your feelings are. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Then you're going to be like your Father in heaven. That's how Jesus loved. In Romans 5, it says... 
But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God didn't wait for us to be lovable before he loved us. And there are people that are hurting. We talked about it last week. Have you ever had the opportunity to try to help get an animal out of a trap that's caught in a trap? There you are trying to help, and what are they doing? They're biting you, and they're, they're, they're afraid, and they're trying to destroy you because you think, they think you're trying to destroy them. And so we have to let God fill our heart with his love so we're able to deal with all the pain and the hurt and the fear that Satan's injected their lives with him by their following of him. It takes God's love doesn't matter what giftedness you have, if it's not motivated and energized by love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of preaching and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into an account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If your hope, if your only hope is listening to the conservative pundits on talk radio, you don't have any hope, do you? If your hope is Fox News where you can listen to people argue all the time and then they get the supposedly the fair and balanced view, there is no hope. It's not going to build hope. It'll build fear and trepidation and anger. Love comes from Christ. We look at him, how did he respond? He always responded in love. He said, we're to walk in love. And he said, in verses 3 to 10, we are to walk as children of light. See, when you're walking in righteousness, if you're walking in holiness, that's a walk that's not just separate over here from the world. Because you're in the world, not of the world. It's separated unto Christ. It's active. Your focus is Christ, not the world. See, legalists, they get their laws and their lists of rules of do's and don'ts. And they go, okay, I'm, I'm okay now. And they get real angry when anybody else breaks the rules. When they break the rules, you know, that's understandable because they're human. But if somebody else breaks the rules, then they, they have the right to be angry and hate. I don't know. Now, I recognize that our Constitution was framed and founded upon the word of God. But that's not our government anymore. That's not where we live. There were some folks, the writer of Hebrews talks about, that were promised some things, Hebrews eleven thirteen, And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a country of their own. Now, you may have been born here in the United States, and like me, you served in the military maybe, and so you have investment, and you love your country, you ought to love your country. 
And I'm sure your, your heart is saddened. But we have international students here that come from countries that never honored God. And we have the same king, don't we? So don't be so discouraged that, well, things aren't turning. I mean, I, you weren't going to stay here that long anyway. Did you know that? You got average 70 years. You're going someplace else. So don't set your affection on things on the earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. No, no, invest in heaven. Paul said, don't, don't focus on the things that can be seen and be all discouraged when those things start melting away. Put your focus on the invisible, on God, on those things that are permanent. Your dream house isn't here. If it's here, you got a sad house. It never, never will compare to the home that God is preparing. He goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 15, And indeed, if they have been thinking of the country from which they went out, they could have gone back. But as it is, listen to this, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, listen to this, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That's your king right there. That's your king. Now, we're thankful for America. God blessed America. America has been one of the greatest missionary sending countries of all time. But God never intended for this to be a permanent government. And as sad as it is, as our leaders turned back, Joel Rosenberg said last week in a bulletin I got from him, from the safety of Israel, he said, there's going to be revival or chaos. That's the only options. And guess what? As believers, we're to be found faithful in either. We don't, more than anything, we want to be found faithful. So we have to walk in love, and we have to walk as children of light. Verses 3 through 10, he says, But immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral person or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words, saying that somehow God changed and, and things are different. We've evolved. God's evolved. No, no, no. The only God that evolves the one they worship is idolaters that lives right here between their ears. That's the only God that's evolving. God's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for us as believers, that's a comfort. That's a security. He doesn't change. He is faithful. And so we are to be imitators like him by being pure and holy and separating from the world unto Christ. So that when there's opportunity, they see the difference. There's a foundation for believability. If we're just like the world, we talk just like the world, we act just like the world, we go greedily after the same things the world does, what hope do we offer? None. None. He says, walk as children of, of light.
Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you formerly were darkness. He didn't say you formerly were in the dark. He said you were a part of the darkness before you came to Christ. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's our life. We are learners. Are you involved? Are you connected somehow to the church besides Sunday morning? Do you have a small group you're meeting with? That's where life takes place, life on life. Couples group, small group, men's group, women's group. Where you have an opportunity to, to bear your heart, share others' burdens, be encouraged, pray together. That's ministry. The number one reason, I think, that I've heard people say, I say, are you in a small group? Here's the number one reason. Well, if I went a small group, people find out that I don't know very much about the Bible. I'd be really embarrassed. So that's what we're trying to do, embarrass everybody. See, if we're a church full of people that were trying to be teachers, that might be the case. I don't think in one of our groups it's ever been heard. Now, I may some other churches, but I'm only speaking for this one. Somebody's come to group, and they've asked a question. And somebody says, well, I can't believe you're so ignorant you would even ask a question like that. Why? The children in our nursery know the answer to that. That has never been, that has never happened. Now, every once in a while, a wolf will show up in a Bible study. You know what a wolf is? That's a know-it-all. Trying to intimidate people. Maybe they're not a wolf. But they're just trying to intimidate how they know so they can get in charge and, and be the leader. Listen, from the pastor and elders and deacons, I want to tell you it is our heart to be methetes. Disciples, that's a learner, a lifelong learner of Christ, not an expert. James said, don't, don't desire to be a teacher. You get greater condemnation. Now, some have been gifted and set aside for teaching, but I want to tell you from my heart, I am always learning. And it is a blessing, no matter which one of our seminary guys gets up and teaches or our young pastors that get up and teach, I love to sit at their feet and gain from them. Why? Because they got the same Holy Spirit I do. And the Holy Spirit's working through them. And when we come to small groups, it can be a brand new Christian. I'll tell you, I get so excited listening to brand new Christians. It's just fresh. And they're telling you what the Holy Spirit's teaching them. And I'm so excited to hear what the Holy Spirit's teaching them because it's life. It's life. He says we need to have a walk in light, Jesus said, in, or John said in 1 John 1, 7, who walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Thirdly, we're to have a walk in truth. You know why? Because lost people are confused right now too. They are. They're confused and they're afraid. They know something bad is coming. They don't know what. Look at the movies that are being produced by Hollywood. Look at all the preppers. Oh, you better get ready. Bad stuff's coming. You better get all you can, can all you get, and sit in the lid, and it better be a deep hole because somebody's coming to take away from you. Fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a disciplined mind. But our job is truth. And so when we bring truth, you bring light. And when you bring light, it dispels darkness. 
Now, they may not like the, the light. They may not receive the light, but that's still your job, to be light. The Bible says, Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill, can, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does somebody take a lamp and then put it under the bed or put it under a bushel basket. What was the purpose of that? So while some churches are trying to spin how they can, you know, stay in business and, 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 and just kind of get along and then pretend like they're going along with the world and still try to make a difference. No, no, no. We're not going to take our light and hide it under a bushel and then sneak it out once in a while. The purpose of light is to expose and dispel darkness. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. See, when you give the gospel, when you say, no, there's right and wrong still, God didn't change, people just kind of relax a little bit and they go, oh, okay, good. Because they, in their heart, God put it there. They believe there's right and there's wrong. When they were having the debate on Capitol Hill over the marriage thing, one of the judges, I can't remember which one it was, but he seems to be a righteous man. He says, well, what's your standard then for what you're doing? I mean, maybe later we'll have multiple marriage partners or, or maybe it'll be a little girl. Somebody wants to marry a little girl. That's okay. Oh, no, that'd be wrong. His question, by whose standard? Because yours seems to be waffling. And then pretty soon, might is right. Huh. Argumentum ad baculum, the argument to the club. If my club's bigger than you, that makes me right. That's where we're headed, folks. God's standard hasn't changed, and that's the foundation. That's the peace. That's why we don't have to be afraid. We can let our light shine. But as we're letting our light shine and we're sharing the gospel, Jesus reminds us of this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give to them eternal life. So what's he saying? There's some sheep out there that don't know him yet. And the only way they're going to know him is if you're willing to stand up and live a life of truth and share truth and bring light. And what is the light? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and rose again, and he will take their sin as far as the east is from the west. And here's the thing. He remembers it no more. The only sin that sends a person to hell is the sin of the rejection of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus takes us wherever we're at. But if he takes you, he doesn't leave you there, does he? He changes you. He cleanses you. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new desire that you desire to be like him. That you might be a reflection and fill, fulfill the purpose of your life to see other people come to know him. He says, don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. And then lastly... Verses 14 through 21, we need to walk in wisdom. And there's five principles here. First of all, we need to be alert. He said, awake sleeper, arise from the dead and light will shine on you. How many believers are just kind of sleeping right now? And all of a sudden this happens. They go, whoa, wow. I didn't know you could do that with the Constitution. Well, you're not supposed to be able to. But guess what? Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He does what he wants. 
But he doesn't get the final word. But Jesus said the end times can drag you down. And if you don't wake up, you're going to feel like you're a pinball, just getting shoved here and shoved there and pretty soon going down the hole, and that's it. That's your life. But God wants you to walk with purpose as you seek to follow him. So when you stand before Christ one day to give an account, he can say to you, well done. You just didn't go along like a slug. How many people are just sitting in church, you know? Instead of standing on the promise, they're sitting around the premises, right? And they're just hoping something good happens. He says, no, wake up. Get alert. Get involved. Get involved in the battle that you can have some victories. Jesus said this in Luke 21, 34, about these times. Be on guard so that your heart will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. That's what happens. We just get so filled with ourselves. we don't have time for the Lord. Just don't have time. So busy, don't have time. And Satan just kind of rocks you to sleep, even as a believer. And that day, if you're awake, it will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place, and then to stand before the Son of Man. So we need to be alert. Secondly, we need to be faithful now. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. I think the King, King James says the days are short. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of Lord, what the will of the Lord is. So what does that mean? That means you have to take responsibility for your time for your giftedness, for your resources, and for your opportunities. God saved you on purpose. He gifted you on purpose for his purposes. I can't tell you what those are. You have to go find out from the Lord what those are. But just quit trying to mask it over. You never ask. You say, well, I'm just trying to please the Lord. But you never ask. Bible says in all your ways, acknowledge him. That's how you get a straight path. But if you never ask, he can't tell you. It's like the little kid, you know. He, de- he decides just to go to the store. And later, his dad says, well, did you ask your mom? Well, she didn't say no, right? You know how kids are. Well, Billy's mom said he could go. I'm not Billy's mom. But you don't ask the Lord because you say, well, he, you know, he's such a killjoy. He'd say no. But you're going to do it anyway? Amazing. That you know the God of glory, and he knows, you know, he knows everything you're doing. But you say, well, don't ask, don't tell. I won't ask him. He can't tell me. Oh, listen, I want to tell you something. Wake up, Christian. The Bible says he scourges every single son he, he receives. If you're without discipline, you don't belong to him. That's scary, isn't it? That means you can do whatever you want, but don't be surprised when you bust hell wide open. Because the believer, the true believer in Jesus Christ, his number one priority is what does God want? And if you're a little bit drunken with the times and and what we've had in America and all of the, the blessing and all of the stuff and the entertainment, you're just a little bit inebriated still. It's time to clear up. Wake up. 
and be faithful now. What does God put in your hand? He didn't put it in your hand so you could be successful and say, hey, why don't you be successful like me? If that were the case, Jesus missed it, didn't he? He didn't even have a place to call his own. In America, American Christians equate plenty with blessing, and it is God's blessing. But that's not what we ought to be after. That's not our focus and goal to get all we can and then give a tithe. Some of you have a problem with the tithes. Well, I'm, who says I got to give a tenth? Really? A tenth? Listen, if you can't give the tenth, then you're probably not being very faithful with the rest of the 90 either. You begrudge that? You think like the Jews, you can do better with 10? Well, I'm just going to give this poor person over. I think that's what I should do, really. When he says, no, no, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and then see if I'll not pour you out a blessing. He said, prove me now with this. Be faithful with your resources. Prove me now and see if not open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, press down, shaking together, running over, I'm going to give into your bosom. You see, when you're faithful, God gives you more to be faithful with. But what, do you, what does that mean? So you can buy a bigger house? No. So you can use your things so there'll be people, people in heaven to welcome you when you get there. That's why it gives you things. To invest in missions so others can go even if you're not called. And when you invest, guess what? All of a sudden you start praying more, don't you? I know, just practical example, there's so many of you that are supporting David and Christian in Germany. You know why I know it makes a difference? Because you're always, well, how's it going in Germany? I didn't get a letter, but how's it going over there? And I give a report. And we get the reports, oh, man, that's great. Somebody else is getting saved. Why? Because we're invested. The Lord knows that. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's your, what's your treasure? What do you worship? He said, you need to be faithful. It's time to get sober and get faithful now. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world. Well, the world says you can, have, you can have religion, but, you know, keep the main thing the main thing. You know, entertainment and, and activity and nice things, that's life. You need to spend some time at Vanity Fair. I mean, you know, the thing that blows my mind is how many Christians, their, their idea of vacation is heading to Vegas. <laughs> when there's no doubt, the world calls it Sin City. Why do you want to go there? Well... I can't take a little bit. I mean, what would life be if we didn't have a little sin to enjoy? Really? Oh, I know you'd never say that with your mouth, but that's what your pee, your pee picking brain is thinking, right? It's a little sin, you know. And, you know, got to have balance. Got to have balance. Christians always ask what the balance is. The balance is totally 100% dedicated, not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can find out what is the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. Why? Because that's where joy is, my friend. In times like these, when the world is upside down, they're calling good evil and they're calling evil good to be able to know, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, to have that foundation and to know that your life is not in vain in him, that you can be always abounding in the work of the Lord. To have purpose when the world has no purpose. That, my friends, is joy. And ultimately to hear from Jesus 
Well done, faithful servant. See, he hasn't called you to be John MacArthur, Charles Spurgeon, William Carey, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham. He's called you to be you, filled with the Holy Spirit, to occupy your space here and now until he comes or until he calls you home. Faithful. Then he says, verses 18 and 19, we need to be spirit-filled. Verse 18 says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you've lived life at all. You've run into somebody that's inebriated. And they're either happier than they should be or they're more angry than they should be, but they don't have lucid thoughts. They're walking, their decisions, they're talking. Everything, when they're under the influence, is just not believable. And they can do some very dangerous things when they're under the influence. And then later they'll claim insanity because they what? Under the influence. The Bible uses that and it says, now you, don't be filled with wine where you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs, but you as believers need to be under the total influence of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? How do you be filled with the Spirit? He didn't say... Anoint yourself. He didn't say get all excited. How could he command that? Well, the parallel passage is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. What does he mean? The equal to Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16 You've got to get the word in your life. How can a young man make his path straight? By taking heed to the word, by listening to the word. That word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. The Holy Spirit has something for you to do. Listen, in the deepest of your trials, if you don't have the word, you're going to be a little lost. God can still speak to you through other people, but you need to have the word. In my own life, one of the most powerful influences or experience I had, because they don't teach these things in seminary, they don't teach them in Bible college, is when we found our baby son dead in his crib. And the Bible says there to give thanks. That's the next point, to give thanks. He didn't say feel thankful. He didn't command an emotional response. He commanded a decision. In all things, give thanks. And that's the verse he brought to my mind when we found Jesse in his crib. Now, that seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? I want to tell you something. Giving thanks opens the door for you to be able to listen to God because it's obedience. And so, as we held that little baby, I gathered the boys around. They just getting ready for school that morning. I said, guys, the Bible says we have to thank God. So we're going to thank God. And I didn't feel thankful. I felt broken. I felt grieved. But we thank the Lord. All I could think of is, Lord, thank you for this sweet baby and the time that we had with him. That's it. And then God began to speak that night as I tried to, you know, I, I felt violated somehow. I'd let, I was the dad. I let death in the door. And so I sat around. I kept the fire going. I said, well, stupid, you can keep the fire going. So you keep the fire going. It was November. And I watched my boys breathe. And Christy went in and just went to sleep. And he brought the verse to my mind, Psalm 127. 
Lo, he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. See, that's a blessing. I thought that. The Lord brought that. Then I began to check the door, and I was checking the door and checking the fire and checking the breathing. And the Lord said to me after several times, so Paul, you know that still small voice in your mind? Can you trust me now? I had to kind of take a breath. I felt like Peter. Lord, I got nothing else. I got you. I got you. And you know, that's all I need right now, I guess, Lord. Because when you lose a child, everything else just kind of pales in comparison, doesn't it? There's nothing really else important in life. You don't care about money, what's in the bank, what you're driving anymore. It's you and God. Yeah. And then I went to make the funeral arrangements. And I'm driving from West Laramie down to the funeral home. And he brings to my mind 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And that says, there's no temptation or trial taking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll always provide a way through the trial. And I said, well, Lord, I think you overestimated my ability. And he spoke to my heart. And he said, son, I wasn't looking at you. God is faithful. And I tell people going through trials, if you'll stop and be obedient and listen, God will speak to your heart. And what you remember from that trial later is not the pain you remember how close the shepherd was when he was bearing you up in his arms. You remember his grace and how he healed your heart. You remember how he just carefully, a step at a time, led you through that trial. There may be hard times coming. God's not afraid. He's not worried. He still sits on the throne. And he wants you to have victory. But you have to be spirit-filled. You have to be walking in the word, in the light of the word. His word will be a light to your feet. It will be a lamp to your path. If you'll acknowledge him. If you'll saturate your life in it. Then last he says, giving thanks. It's a command. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of Jesus. Verse Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, always giving thanks. We can give thanks for the time we've had under a nation that actually recognized the Constitution and was working on that basis. But that actually the nation began to cease in the 1960s when they stopped looking at the Constitution and they began to use case law as the example. But we don't have to be afraid. They took, they said they took God's out of school. Do you think God left school? No, he didn't leave school. He said, you can't pray in school. As long as there's tests and there's believers, they will be praying in school. Right? How do you stop somebody from praying? You can't pray now. God hears our prayers, and even we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Paul said, what can separate us from the love of God? Peril, the sword, nakedness, hunger. What can separate us? No, no, he said, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Paul said, with all he'd been through, he said, I have found 
than your life, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor rulers of darkness and high places. Nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. And when we sing that song, I hope that's the desire of your life too. We sing a song by John Newton, the same fellow that wrote Amazing Grace. And we love the song here, and the Lord will provide. The last verse says, I hope to die shouting. That's what Paul did. And we need to be walking a wisdom walk is to walk in humility. This is not a time for lone wolves and mavericks. I know there's a lot of people that really take pride in the fact they're too big for the church, you know. Church is such a small thing, you know. They can do it on their own, and, and they're just kind of out there, you know. No, no, no. We need to be together. We need to be submitting to one another. That's where the power is. That's where the protection is. Life on life, a step at a time, together. Light, you know what light synchronized is? It's a laser. It's not a big, huge light. You don't have to be a big light if you're a laser light. You can cut to the bone. That's what the Bible says about his word. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit. And that's the weapon he's given us. He wants our lives together to be lasers for him. In times like these, it's time to shine brightly. Times like these are normal to the people of God. This is what the people of God have known. Even in Israel in the Old Testament, it was always a remnant that were faithful. It wasn't the whole bunch Victories can be had if there's just a few. 1 Samuel 14, there was one sword left in Israel because some kind of arms deal. The Israelites surrendered their swords to the Philistines. So guess who got to rule and guess who had to serve, right? They surrendered, surrendered their weapons. So there was two swords. Saul had one and Jonathan had one. And Jonathan's spirit was moved because... Saul was over there with the Urim and Thummim. He said, see what we should do. How can we, you know, get out from underneath this? But I don't know what God's going to do. And he was, by that time, walking the flesh. But Jonathan saw the Philistines up there on God's property. And he was moved. And he said, you know, it's time to quit sitting around. And his armor bearer said to him, do whatever's in your heart. I'm right behind you. And you know what Jonathan did? He said, listen, this is what God's put in my heart, armor bearer. I don't know what his name was, but he was a faithful man. He said, listen, if they say to us, come up here, we know the battle's the Lord. If they say, wait here, then we're going to fight, and whatever God does, he does, you know, but we're going we're gonna to die fighting. We're going to die shouting. So they discovered themselves the Philistines, and we've seen that clip. It's a tough thing to crawl up, hands and knees all the way up. And they say, hey, why don't y'all come up here? We'll show you a thing. We'll show you how to fight. Jonathan said, the battle's the Lord's. And they, he, he handed his sword to his armor bearer. And the Bible says he knocked him down, and the armor bearer slew after him. It was 10 to 1. In the space of a half acre, 20 men could not overtake them. It doesn't take a lot. And then when their faithfulness was, was just about complete, God began to send an earthquake. And all of a sudden, everybody got scared and the Philistines melted away. You see, God is the majority. 
It doesn't matter what man thinks. We read Isaiah 40. He's not sitting around waiting to be elected again. He's not worried about his throne. And so we shouldn't be either. These are normal times. Paul said from prison just before he was to be executed to Timothy. Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come. Well, they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In another epistle, he says, A wide door for effective service is open for me, and there are many adversaries. That's the way it is. That's life. But I want to tell you, Christian, these are our times. This is our opportunity to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see God working in our life. It's not about us. And become worshipers also. We have the opportunity to snatch some even from the burning. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. We're coming against the gates of hell. And the Bible says, Jesus said, the victory is the Lord. It's already won. We just have this opportunity to be a part of the harvest. In times like these, to see other people, even people that right now are identifying with all the decisions, saying, yes, that's who I am, that's who I'll always be, and God says, watch this, and we get to see them change their lives. And all of us can identify with that passage in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of us, right? Such were some of us. We were adulterers. We were wicked. We are just running as fast as we could away from the Lord, and the Lord in his gracious love said, no more, you're coming home. And we turned around and came home. That was God's gift. Can we not love like Jesus loved us? That's the same love he's put in us. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. You've not left us alone. You've not left us without protection. We have the Holy Spirit. You've given us your armor, protection, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Lord, we got to put it on. We have to face the enemy. Lord, stir us up to feast on your word. Because, Lord, you said in Psalm 23, you have prepared a table in the presence of our enemies. A feast. Our cup runs over. And after this, eternity. Lord, I pray that we'd be found faithful. Stir us up, each one, to fulfill our ministry like you challenged Timothy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.